Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends, Tucker Milling. In fact, this Saturday, I'm going to be at Gunnersville Feed over in Gunnersville, Alabama, from 10 to noon, I'm going to be doing a poultry workshop. This is completely free. So if you live in the vicinity or, hey, maybe I've had people come to my events that were two, three, four hours away. So come on out to Gunnersville Feed in Gunnersville, Alabama. That's this Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Following, we'll have a Q&A, pictures, autographs, uh, book signing. So come on out this Saturday. I'm really looking forward to that. Again, sponsored by Tucker Milling. So uh, uh, this may be my last spring event this year. We wanted to ease into it after doing no tours last year, which was really the first year we hadn't toured in probably a decade. Um, And it was really good to get back in the saddle, if you will, and uh, see folks and make sure I was uh, uh, still remembering everything that was in my noggin uh, during the workshop, uh, because I speak for a good hour and 45 minutes or more all about... uh, raising chickens let me rephrase that raising healthy chickens so uh yeah hopefully y'all can come out this saturday i'm looking forward to meeting a lot of you folks uh let's see we got a great show line today i'll get that in just a second uh, just a little bit of a uh, uh, forewarning the spring uh cold is going around we're just about over it it started last wednesday so it's been here in the household for a week last wednesday with my 10 year old son and it was uh, a kind of a struggle with him. And then, of course, he gave it to my daughter, and then my daughter gave it to my wife, and then or somebody, and then I got it. So I'm the last one trailing here with this uh, spring cold. Uh, we've been to the uh, urgent care we go to a lot. Uh, no strep, no COVID, none of that. It's just a good old springtime cold. And uh, so if I sound a little stuffy or all of a sudden you hear a click and it's because I'm trying to get to the mute button before I cough. So uh, if you're wondering, yeah, we're doing just fine. I, I, I feel like I'll be ready to roll on Saturday uh, for the, the big event. So just a good old springtime cold. Um, but 
fantastic show for you today. So let me kind of give you uh, why we're doing this show. I don't even know if I have her name any longer, but I guess it was a couple of weeks ago I received an email from a young lady that said, hey, I'm struggling with sauerkraut right now. Uh, I can't find anything in the archives or in your magazine about it. I've looked. Um, could you please do a show or an article on sauerkraut so I can get this wiped out in my flock? And I forget how many birds she had. It was a, it was a pretty good number, not like 300, but more than, I think, 12. And uh, I said, you know, I think that's a great idea. So I reached out to Dr. Potesky because he's always, you know, very, hey, what, what, what's the, what's the word on the street? What are people struggling with? Well, you know, let send us ideas so we can do shows that interest, you know, uh, you as a follower of the Chicken Whisper. And so he said, yeah, this is great. So not only are we going to be talking about sauerkraut and chickens during this show, but the summer article in Chicken Whisper magazine is also going to be a good follow-up to this show, sauerkraut and chickens. You know, kind of what causes it, what is it, how to treat it, um, and how uh, can it be can it be deadly? Uh, can you lose birds because of it? Um, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Are there any quote-unquote home remedies? Are there any wives' tales that, that might work? And I'm going to get into that. So I'm going to go through, and because I see he's on hold, which means he can listen to everything we're saying. I'm going to go through what I did. It was a little tricky. It was a little tricky today. <laughs> is on three different chicken groups. First on my Chicken Whisperer Facebook page, and then on two other just kind of Facebook chicken groups. I posted Please post below your prevention slash cures of sauerkraut. Thanks. Just to see what all everybody thought uh, would treat sauerkraut, what they claim they've had useful uh, results with, what they may have heard. Uh, and most of the time when you post something on a blog uh, or, or, or in a group and someone answers, They've never experienced that. It's just something that they may have read someone else say or they read on a blog or read out on that. It's not like they may have experienced. So they're just – a lot of times on these chicken groups, they're just spouting out what they heard uh, um, or someone answered to last week. So, so I, I posted that just kind of to set them up a little bit, but I wanted to see some of the answers. So I'm going to go through uh, a lot of the answers that were post, uh, posted this morning uh, on my post about, hey, what can I use to prevent and cure sauerkraut? And then I'm going to go to commercial break, and then uh, you can get your pen and paper to write down and take lots of notes. When I come back from the commercial break, we'll welcome Dr. Pateski. Hopefully he'll write some of these down too because he may say, hey, you know, there's merit there. Uh, it kind of makes sense, but – or he'll say, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, or no, that's really not going to work because uh, – and then that may have merit, so you could try that first if you wanted to. So, so I'm just going to get over here to – my page and, and just kind of go down the list and read some of these cures that we uh, had for sauerkraut from our awesome, awesome followers. So I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to go down all these different results. So we have, let me go back over here and check my, yeah, okay. I'm going to check my switchboard real quick. Okay. Rub it and turn it upside down if compacted. Uh, it will puke. Uh, so make sure you're using grit in their food. Okay, so, so rub the crop while the bird is upside down and try to kind of rub that, force that um, uh, impaction out, and they'll vomit, but make sure you add grit from now on. Uh, let's see. I've uh, feed monostat or another yeast infection medicine and withhold food for 24 hours. 
reduce food and put a spoonful of vinegar in the water. Uh, to prevent, I don't know no, this. I don't know if this is prevent. I think this may be to treat. Add iodine or uh, acidified copper sulfate to the drinking water for three to five days. We've got, uh, of course, my Robert, my friend Robert. He was joking around with that one. Um, uh, <laughs> feather fixer feed uh, is a cure. Um, Withhold food for 24 hours, uh, then start giving them apple cider vinegar in their in their water. Um, let's see, and then soak their feet in apple cider vinegar for the next 24 hours. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, here's a good one. Place an old pre-1982. Place an old pre-1982 penny in their water. It releases small amounts of copper into the water. And uh, they have bacterial and fungicidal properties. Um, probably better as a preventative, but could be a cure. So place an old penny in their water. Plain yogurt, fresh fruits. Uh, let's see, vinegar in their water. Um, yogurt in their feed. Apple cider vinegar in their water. Um, olive oil. Get an eyedropper and, and give them some olive oil. Um, yogurt and oyster shells, um, going down this list, <clears throat> okay, uh, acidified copper sulfate in their water, withhold food, we've got, going down here, oh, oregano oil in their water, uh, monostat 7, my mom would just give them wine. <laughs> I like that one. Um, that, this is the first time I've read these two, so I didn't even look earlier. Epsom salt flush. Um, let's see. Monostat 7. Massage the crop. Wow, another one. Red wine will cure it. Um, don't feed medicated starter, uh, and antibiotics cause yeast overgrowth. Um, let's see. Oh, this, I, I saw this twice too. Stewed tomatoes for 24 hours, no solid food. Uh, stewed tomatoes. Um, that could be because they're very acidy, maybe. We'll see what the doc has to say. Um, let's see. Probiotics, apple cider vinegar, and that looks like it's it on my page. The, on the other page, it was a lot of the similar stuff, but someone else on another page said stewed tomatoes as well. With Whole Food, just give stewed tomatoes. And so hopefully, and I can go back to these, Doc, if, if you didn't write any of these down, but those are today's cures from our followers. And like as I said earlier, I'm going to go to commercial break. Everybody can get their pen and paper out and get ready to take some notes. But uh, we're going to hear uh, if you took maybe a chicken to the vet, to Dr. Pateski at UC Davis, and uh, he has tons and tons of letters after his name, and he uh, diagnosed it as sauerkraut. We're going to see what kind of he would recommend you do, what he would do if the bird was in his care. And then we'll talk about some of these other things we just mentioned 
yay, nay, that might have some merit, or I can see the path they're going down here, but there's a better option, um, or, or that's just, you know, no, definitely don't do that. So we'll talk about that as soon as we return from this short break. This is going to be a great show. Stay with us, folks. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, thank you very much for tuning in today and staying with us. Uh, sour crop and chickens is today's topic. Before the break, you heard me go down the long list of different cures and preventions that people posted this morning. And now I'm going to bring on poultry veterinarian, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis. And uh, first, welcome him to the show. Thank you very much. Happy May. Hope you're doing well. And I uh, hope you have plenty of fuel out there in California. Of course, over here on the East Coast, it's been hit or miss because everybody's panicking and uh, going to fill up. Or the, you know, it's, it's just been kind of crazy over here. Hopefully, y'all have plenty of fuel out that way. Yeah, no, crazy what's going on there. Um, 
but uh, I hope you're feeling a little better. So is is it is it getting better now? I I, I read on on the news that it seems to be resolved. That the is obviously it's, the panic issue is is a little harder to solve than the uh, than, than other <laughs> issues. I would imagine. It's been really interesting where we're at, and of course I'm an Atlanta native, so I know all the areas. You know, so where we're at, where we're at, we really weren't affected too much. We're about an hour. Um, say north of northeast of Atlanta, and so um, where we're at, it's interesting. There may have only been ten percent of the stations that were that had run out completely, and then I mean not not many at all. I mean we, at any time we could just go out and oh that one's empty, but a quarter mile up the road that one had plenty. It was really interesting, and then uh, but but huh, like the county the the county that touches ours just north of us. Um, again, a smaller population, I'm guessing because they're smaller, not as number of gas stations, they were having lots of issues. Where's gas? Everybody's out. Ingalls is out. Chevron's out, 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 out. And then the county that touches us to the south, which again is a higher population, um, so, but, but more gas stations, they, uh, I talked to uh, Jen's sister last night and she was like, I just drove you know, 30 miles from work, and not a single gas station was open. They all had no gas. But so it just, it's, it's really weird. It's these little pockets of either nothing or no big deal. Um, I've had no problems getting huh. gas here the last two or three days. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and then the cra- it's yeah. really crazy. I'd be going down the same road, and I would pass two gas stations that had fuel. Uh, there'd be one car filling up, and then I'd get maybe a mile up the road, and there'd be, like say at the Kroger, and there'd be nine cars behind each pump. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, a mile that way, there's nobody in line. Um, and they have gas too. As far as price increase, uh, hadn't really seen it too much. Um, when I filled up before this started, it was 269, and then right in the middle of all this, it went up to mostly 289. This is just for regular. Um, and then last night I did see a few that were two ninety nine. So two sixty nine was kind of what we were paying before all this happened. Went up to two eighty nine in the middle of it all, and then two ninety nine now is very few. Uh, most of them are still at two eighty nine, but we haven't had really an issue, and it seems like it's it's in pockets. So, um, but supposedly huh. it's kind of they've they've got it back and running. Maybe they said another week of some spotty outages until they get back up to full capacity. But it is what it is. What it is. So, but it's interesting to see as you know because on the show years ago we used to talk about homesteading a lot and, and and even some prepping and things like that. And it's it's very interesting to see you know something like this how people react or the toilet paper issue during the pandemic or whatever else was missing you know canning jar lids or all these crazy things now of course the chicken shortage you know it really at least us it makes me wonder you know what if something really serious happened and you can imagine just you know oh the gas or or the the toilet paper or things like that but uh you know i just i just cringe to think if something really really serious would happen how it how it would be and you know look around and see how they're acting now just imagine multiply that times 10 uh if something would happen it's uh it's kind of it's kind of concerning a little bit but um 
Yeah, no, no problems here in our area. And really, I think most of Atlanta, we're, we're okay. People are finding gas. There's definitely no shortage of cars on the road. I can tell you that for sure um, <laughs> that I've well, seen. You're, you're not getting my sympathy on the, on the pricing, Andy, because I'm in California, and our, our pricing, <laughs> right. we're, we're about $4 a gallon now. So You, you know, I saw um, that this week in the news. All, I said, Cali- $3.99, I, th- I think I saw a post out in California. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, um, it's because our, our, the summer blend that they make in California because of, of smog issues and things like right. that, it, it's very specific to California. So I think it's, it's just a smaller – they have to make a, a certain kind of formula, I think. I think there's something related to that. Plus, obviously, in the summer, uh, especially this summer, there's probably going to be more people driving around. More people driving. Yep, absolutely. And I've heard about that summer blend. So, uh, yeah, y'all are always, I think, typically higher than the national average anyway um, out there. So uh, I knew, I, in fact, it crossed my mind when I was talking about this. I was like, yeah, he's, uh, I, I figure what he's paying out there, he's not going to, right, like you said, have any sympathy <laughs> at, at two sixty nine. dollars Absolutely. Okay, so sauerkraut and, and chickens. You heard all of those great home remedies uh, and uh um, I'm just going to let you roll with it. Uh, so far, I've been pretty good with not coughing in people's ears, but um, I'll, I'll chime in and, and that type of thing. But just we kind of want to know what it is and how it's caused and then maybe some proper treatment to make it go away. Yeah, well, first of all, again, I uh, hope you're feeling better and see my best to your family because it's not it's no fun. I've, well, I'm sure we've all experienced that as it cycles through our, our households. The worst part about it, um, the worst part about it, Doc, was it hit Caleb really hard with the type one, and so the first two or three days we were really trying hard to keep him out of the ER. I mean, a simple cold, but it was it was a humdinger of a cold, and so uh, people say, oh, it's just a cold. This one was a little tougher on all of us, but. for some reason, it hit him really hard, and then he started having large ketones, and it's now we're now we're pumping fluids and and um, pumping mm-hmm. insulin every every two out through all all a couple of nights. Every two hours, I would have to give him fluids and insulin every two hours uh, to get that you know mm-hmm. flushed out. And so, if he would have not to gross anybody out, but if he would have vomited twice in a row, it would have been pretty much an ER trip because then they would have had IV fluids yes. in him and then and consistent insulin. So this is pretty rare. He's had it, you know, he's been diagnosed for five years now, over five years, I think, and this was the worst case uh, of, of, of a sickness or an illness really affecting his type 1 pretty badly, so to where we were really having to stay on it really hard to keep him from having to go to the ER, So, but first time in five years, fingers crossed, I know other type 1s deal with that a lot more than we do. We've been very fortunate and lucky, but yeah, thank you for your, uh, your concerns, and, and uh, we appreciate you thinking about us. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, hopefully everyone's on the, on the road to recovery. So, um, I did get a nice laugh uh, out of all the great, um, answers. I, I love the, the, my two favorite ones were the, the rub it and turn it upside down one, um, with the, with, um, and then the wine one was also, um, was also very creative. So, uh, the 1982 penny one, I, I like that too, um, because, uh, copper sulfate is, 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 does have some, um, anti, um, fungal properties to it, and uh, everyone that's gone to vet school, we, we all know 1982 very well because um, you can get copper toxicity, right? You can get too much of a good thing. So uh, they, all the radiologists, when you're taking all your, your classes on x-rays, they would always kind of joke about, you know, animals that eat 
all kinds of things, including um, pennies, and they'd always tell, you know, kind of ingest. They'd say, well, if you can look at the radiograph and tell if the penny is pre-1982, then you know you're going to have a, a copper toxicity issue also. And if it's post-1982, um, then, then you just have to worry about any kind of obstruction issue. So that, that 1982 is, is very kind of ingrained in in most veterinary students' uh, random trivia kind of brain, which, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty good at our animal random trivia, as you can as you can imagine. Um, so there, were, there there is some validity to some of them. Yogurt, you know, has kind of probiotics and and and, and potentially some prebiotics in there. So um, I'm never opposed. Um, um, uh, whether we're dealing with sour crop or non-sour crop, I'm never opposed to using probiotics. Uh, it's not never going to hurt. There's obviously some, uh, not obviously, but there is some good science to suggest that, that probiotics and prebiotics do have um, a place in um, in healthy uh, chickens and in maintaining poultry health. I, I will say, unfortunately, and I always feel like I'm a Debbie Downer on this, is with, when it comes to poultry, treating a disease is, is really very, you know, very, we have very poor um, results when it comes to um, treating birds and, and chickens in particular with, with, respect to, with respect to infectious diseases. So this is where, you know, the time of the show where I always kind of wag my finger and, and we talk about biosecurity and prevention uh-huh. um, because ultimately when you, when you do have uh, things like sauerkraut and other infectious diseases, because sauerkraut is primarily caused, um, by, um, by, by, by fungi, um, a fungus called Canada albicans, um, because so, so, so ultimately we're, we're, we're not going to get a, a good result, um, um, from treating, um, uh, from treating that, 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 that type of fungus. And, you know, I think some people did kind of allude to some, some medications out there. So, Medications like monostat, which are antifungal, that's, that's only half of the equation. Um, if, if the monostat kills the fungus, that's great, but now you have to worry about feed withdrawal times so, because we're dealing with a food animal. If we're dealing with dogs and cats and things like that, we don't have to worry so much about um, withdrawal periods. We don't have to worry about it at all. But once we're dealing with a food animal, we have to be very cautious. And, and I think a lot of the reasons that people – um, you know, have backyard birds and backyard uh, goats and things like that is because they, they want to, to make sure and, and have this kind of confidence that their food is free of any any chemicals and things like that. In the commercial world, there's very strict rules on all those type of things, but, but people, you know, are skeptical and um, also people just like the, 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 the comfort of knowing um, where their food is made. So you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you're, if you're going to start giving these medications kind of willy-nilly without knowing what the withdrawal periods are. And, and medications like Monistat, um, we don't know what the withdrawal periods are in poultry. These are, you know, relatively expensive studies to do. Um, they take some time, um, and, and, and they're, they're, you know, for, for, for better or for worse, most of our poultry research is really fo- focused on commercial poultry problems as opposed to kind of some of the, the backyard domestic poultry problems. So that's a problem hey, um, that we that maybe, we um, with the, how many backyard birds we have right now. Let me be devil's advocate because I know exactly when you started saying that. There were probably hundreds of listeners that said, because we've heard this with other medications too, but monostat's a, a medicine for humans. So why would I need to worry about an egg withdrawal if I can go into the store and buy monostat and use monostat myself? And if I give it to my chicken now, 
why, why would I, if it's for humans already, I think ivermectin, a lot of people throw that out there, but, but why does I have to worry about egg withdrawal if ivermectin? I mean, my, my kids have had that when, when they had whatever, when they were a kid and we still give it to humans and monostat, I can go buy now and take it or whatever. Why, why do I need to worry about egg withdrawal if it's already a, a medication for humans? Shed some light on that because we hear that uh, a lot from folks when we, when we talk about egg withdrawal and things. Yep. No, I, I've heard that argument too. And, and the two things I would say is, um, you know, so ultimately it's a person's decision. I'm, I'm not the police, but, but the, the argument from a public health perspective is that monosat and um, other medications, they're, they're given by prescription for a reason. We don't want their uh, residues in our water and in our foods. So if you need to take a medication, you're given that medication by a prescription. We're not just giving it to the general public. So if you put it in your food animal uh, and it ends up as a residue in eggs or meat, now you're giving those residues to people that, you know, don't need those medications. Two problems that could come up with that. So fungal medications in general are, are can be um, a little harsh on the liver. They're usually typically metabolized by the liver. So uh, those people that have had fungal infections in the past, you know, they'll usually say don't drink any alcohol because you just don't want to tax the liver any more than it's already being taxed to metabolize the right. uh, antifungal medication. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing we worry about is we worry about resistance. So if we, if we keep on giving human medications, especially to animals, um, now we, we typically try not to, and, and, and the FDA has done a, a, a nice job of this, actually. We typically try not to give human medications to animals because uh-huh. of the issue of uh, creating uh, antimicrobial resistance. So if we do start having strains of Canada albicans that are resistant to certain antifungals, that will kind of boomerang on humans eventually. So. Um, you know, we want to use those medications efficaciously and appropriately. And if we just start giving them kind of willy-nilly, um, we will run into problems. I, I remember just very briefly, I remember being in vet school, and uh, we were talking about antimicrobial resistance, a very known phenomena. Um, and I remember uh, we, we were talking about anti-flea medications at the time. And at the time, they were saying, well, many of these medications don't seem to have any resistance. And a decade later, surprise, surprise, we're, we're realizing that a lot of these flea medications don't work very well anymore because uh, fleas have developed resistance to them. So the assumption should always be that these medications are going to eventually um, um, create resistance in the population. That's, that's basically evolution by natural selection at the microbial level um, and, and the fungal level. Um, so we want to be very cautious on, on how we treat them. And, and I know it's hard for us to kind of think about that big picture. We want to treat our animals. They're sick. They're not feeling well. Um, but, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where we have to kind of really think very cautiously and use those medications really appropriately so we can, um, when we really need them, that, they're, that they work. So hopefully that, mm-hmm. that sheds a little light on that. Sure. Thanks. Um, so, you know, so there, there is, so, so, so the monofat obviously would work. Flea medications will, will, will work against, um, uh, some of the tick problems, but the, the problem is, is that, is that we're dealing with that, um, that issue of, of resistance, um, and, and residues. And, and those are, you know, what I'd always tell people, I'm not a toxicologist, but we, we do have FARAD, the Food Animal Residence right. Avoidance Data Bank. Um, and you can reach out to FARAD. Go to, if you just Google FARAD 
and backyard poultry, you'll get a list of all the medications that are approved uh, for, for poultry, uh, what their withdrawal periods are, um, all kinds of resources. And even better than that, um, there's a phone number that's on there and an email address that's on there, and you can reach out to them. And you, you have access to these amazing toxicologists all over the country um, that will give you, you know, a much more detailed answer than what I just gave about all these types of things. Um, so uh, it's a really amazing resource, and probably um, we should probably talk about it more than we do on this show, but it's, it's this amazing, you know, kind of uh, ability to kind of give you insights on different medications and, and how to treat your, your, your birds, not just your, your chickens. I mean, if you have, you know, small ruminants, for example, they'll give advice on that. Veterinarians call FARAD, backyard um, kind of enthusiasts will call FARAD. Um, it's, it's, like I said, I think a really useful resource and, and one of the things that our tax dollars go to so we can certainly take advantage of it um, as, as, as necessary. Um, so, you know, when we talk kind of it's a big picture about sauerkraut, when we talk about treatments, a- absolutely there are a few treatments. You just have to kind of work with your small animal poultry veterinarian because you have to be kind of cautious about feed withdrawal periods. Now, I know some people will say, well, I, my, this chicken is my pet, and I'm, I'm not even using it for food anymore. Um, I understand that argument, but the worry I have is that, um, you know, who knows if that bird will ever get adopted out, will get lost, and someone else picks it up and, and starts eating eggs from it. You know, just try to think about all those type of things. I'm not going to belabor the point, but, um, you know, it, it is something to kind of consider. Um, so, you know, prevention becomes the key. It is an infectious disease. Um, it, it is one of these diseases where the, the fungus is ubiquitous in the environment. So the, the Canada albicans is, is all over the environment. It's, it's, okay. it's in the chicken's gut. It's in, their, it's in the chicken's crop, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Okay. Um, when it becomes a problem is when we have overgrowth. So, um, it, you know, everything in moderation, including, you know, kind of um, bacteria and fungi. Um, so the reality is with um, if we're dealing with E. coli, um, if we're dealing with um, even things like uh, salmonella, if we have very low levels of them um, or protozoal parasites like coccidia, if we have very low numbers of them, it's actually totally normal and, and completely appropriate. That allows the immune system to kind of develop some immunity against uh, coccidia, for example, or E. coli. Um, for, most of, uh, for most Canada albicans, the, the, the fungus is considered a, a symbiotic, meaning that it just it, it coexists with our body. Our body doesn't get mad at it. It doesn't get mad at our body. They kind of use each other a little. No one is worse for the wear. But uh, when you are dealing with other issues, so now let's say you're dealing with infectious bursal disease, and infectious bursal disease is kind of like chicken HIV. So once you're dealing with these other diseases, all of a sudden now the candida albicans, among other um, bacteria and fungi, can start overgrowing. And when the candida albicans overgrows, it can actually cause inflammation in the tissue of the crop. And when it causes that inflammation in the tissue, it can reduce the ability of the crop to empty out into what we call the proventriculus, which is basically just the stomach. So it's it's almost like a physical blockage at that point. And when when it can't empty, when that crop can't empty into the proventriculus or the stomach, um, now you get all this food that kind of builds up in that crop. 
and it kind of ferments, and now you get this really disgusting, smelly, sour crop smell that, that I'm sure many of us have, have had the joy of, of smelling in the past. So when you get to that point, you've you got a, a very kind of it, – it, it's not – you're not just dealing with – you know, I would tell people it's not just a, a fungal infection. It's not just a Canada albicans issue. You're most likely dealing with something else that's led your, the chicken's immune system to be um, stressed, and overburdened, and now you're dealing with overgrowth of, of all these previously symbiotic uh, organisms that, that were not causing a problem. So if you did have a problem and you got an antifungal, sure, that might cure and or treat that one issue, but most likely there's, there's something else behind that, that that's also causing some problems and other disease processes. So what I always tell people, and I know this is hard for some people, especially that have like, you know, three chickens, is that if we do have a chicken with sour crop, my recommendation is to submit one of those birds to a diagnostic lab for a necropsy, because if we can figure out what the um, additional problems are um, in addition to the sour crop, then, then we have a fighting chance of, of, of trying to treat those in the other birds um, so those other birds don't get this overgrowth of, of the, the candida um, albicans. So, um, so before we get into a little more detail on that, I, I kind of want to just kind of take a step back a little and, and just talk a little about what the crop is and, and, and then um, go into a little more detail about sour crop. So uh, the crop is a little outpouching of the esophagus. So if, you, if you're kind of at the beak of the bird and you go underneath of that, um, there's uh, a little pouch. Not all birds have them. All chickens have them. Actually, all prey species of birds typically have crops. Um, it just to kind of allows them from kind of an evolutionary um, kind of natural history perspective. It, it just allows them to quickly swallow food and store it in the crop until they can fly to safety and, and kind of have their, their food um, at their leisure. So, um, predator birds typically do not have crops and, and prey birds um, typically do. And in the crop, the food will stay there, you know, for, for a very short period of time, uh, less than an hour. And usually um, you have these things called amylases, just enzymes that will kind of start breaking down the food uh, before it gets sent um, to the stomach. But the, the practical thing about the crop is um, it's, it's really important for people to know what a normal crop feels like. So when you do have a, a, a thing like sour crop, you, you know, oh, this does not feel normal. And, you know, one of the things that, that um, you know, veterinary students and I would imagine medical students struggle with because it just comes with experience is what is normal. If you, if you don't know what normal is, it's, it's impossible to know what abnormal is. So this is why I'm always telling people, students, people on the show, listen, feel, smell. So when your flock is nice and healthy, do all those things. You should hear what, what, what your flock sounds like when it's healthy because when they have a respiratory infection, then you'll be like, oh, that kind of sounds like that gurgling sound that Dr. You know, Potesky or whomever talks about every once in a while. Um, when you look at their feces, um, when it's normal, then when you see bloody feces or diarrhea or whatever it be, you'll kind of know what that looks like. And you'd be surprised if you don't pay attention when something abnormal happens, it's, it's a little hard to know if that's, you know, to have the confidence to say, yep, something weird is going on. Um, so same thing with the crop, feel that crop. And the, the tricky thing about the crop is when they're eating, um, that crop will be full. Um, it'll have some food in it. 
And when after they've eaten, um, like an hour or so later, that crop will be empty. Uh, and it'll have, obviously, a different feel to it. I, I, every periodically, I do get that kind of email from someone that, that always kind of palpates or feels the crop, and they're like, I think my chicken has a tumor on, in, on its neck area, and, and ultimately we'll find out it's basically, you know, just the crop, and they keep on palpating it or feeling it when the bird is, um, when, when the bird is eating, but ultimately that, that crop will, will empty out. Now, if we have sour crop, in addition to that smell, and, and sometimes that smell is, is more of an advanced stage of a severe sour crop infection, so initially you should feel that crop should feel almost a little doughy to the touch. So when you're kind of palpating it gently, you'll, you'll feel that crop. The other thing, just as long as we're talking about the crop, it's really important to feel the crop um, in your birds to make sure they're eating. And the reason I say that is people say, well, I can see my birds eating. They're doing fine. So every once in a while, we'll get kind of uh, have an owner that reaches out to me, the commercial or backyard, and they'll, um, they'll say, well, our birds, our chicks are eating, but they're not gaining weight. And I'll be like, well, okay, that's interesting. What, what, what's going on? And then ultimately when you go to the farm or you go to someone's backyard, uh, what you'll find is they are, the, the pelleted feed that they're eating um, is, is glued together. When it's pelletized um, and kind of heated, it, it's, it's pelletized in such a, it should be pelletized in such a way that it should break down to a powder if I put it between my hands and kind of um, um, put my hands back and forth like it's really hot outside or like it's really cold outside, excuse me. Um, if it doesn't do that, then it's probably not going to break down in the bird's mouth very easily. So what you'll, what you'll see is you'll see these birds that look like they're, they're eating all their feed, um, but they're really just going for kind of almost the, 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 the non-pelletized powder or crumble that, that didn't get pelletized. So feeling that crop, if they just felt the crop and they're like, huh, these birds are eating, but their crops are empty, that doesn't make sense. That's the first indication that the birds are, are not getting their feed. Um, so as long as we're talking about crop anatomy and, and, and the function of the crop, I figured we should probably talk a little about that. So just make sure you consistently are feeling that crop so you understand what it's like when it's full, you understand what it's like when it's empty, um, you get used to what the normal smells are. Sour crop has a pretty distinct smell, um, so I wouldn't. Um, that, that's 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 a pretty unique type thing that you should probably um, you, you would probably realize even if you didn't know what what um, abnormal um, uh, an abnormal crop is. Now, the the typically that um, the sour crop, like we talked about before, is is also known as thrush, um, and um, it it's um, you know, that, that, like I said, that, that smell, usually more advanced cases, but you should be able to kind of palpate that thickness. And the birds are typically not eating as much. If they don't eat as much, at some point they may go out of lay. Um, so they're not, they might not be producing as many eggs. They might be depressed. They might not have as much energy. All those type of things can happen. Um, it doesn't typically get spread from bird to bird. It's not like an infectious disease because, as we mentioned, you remember, this fungus is just ubiquitous in the environment. So if there was an E. coli infection or infectious bronchitis or any other disease that's going around, that will spread from bird to bird to bird to bird. The Canada albicans, the sour crop, doesn't spread in that same way because all the birds have it. Now, as we mentioned before, once birds are immunocompromised, then, um, then, 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 then the fungi can proliferate in that crop. And when they proliferate in that crop, 
um, they can cause um, all different types of um, uh, that, that thickening of their um, of the crop um, of the crop tissue. Um, so, a couple things, um, you know, how do our chickens get sick? Um, there's a couple different ways. So I want to talk about before we talk about some of the treatments. I really want to talk about prevention. Um, so it's going to be the same stuff that we talk about all the time. Um, so one thing is we we don't want we want to have good biosecurity and good husbandry. And this is more of a husbandry issue than a biosecurity issue. Um, the overgrowth of that fungi can happen because of concurrent um, parasitic bacterial viral infections, but also because of malnutrition. So um, a vitamin A deficiency has been found um, to be correlated with um, uh, Canada albicans uh, overgrowth um, or following the use of strong antibiotics. And that kind of makes sense because if you use antibiotics, um, you know, antibiotics are, 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 don't just kill the bad bacteria, they actually kill good bacteria. And now you've changed the flora in the crop and the stomach, and there's the potential in that scenario for other things to kind of start overgrowing a little. So antibiotics, you know, we need them. They're, they're certainly appropriate to use in, in humans and animals, um, but there are some unintended consequences of, of antibiotics that we just have to be aware of. And, and that's one of the reasons we try not to use them as often as, 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 as you know, they're necessary to use, we use them, but if we don't have to use them, uh, probably no, no value in using them at all. Um, the other thing I'd be aware of, just from a husbandry perspective, as opposed to kind of a biosecurity perspective, is fungi like um, Canada albicans will grow in moist environments. Um, so if you do have a... Um, uh, a litter and it's humid and hot and or it's rainy or whatever it be, especially like in the south, southeast this time of year, um, you can get kind of proliferation of, of that fungi in the environment. And, and that can be the thing that kind of, um, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, uh, as the saying goes. You're just, you're just kind of tempting fate a little by having more and more of this previously symbiotic bacteria um, in the, um, in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the crop. Um, so, um, a couple other things I wanted to mention with the vitamin A deficiency. So vitamin A is a fat soluble vitamin. So there's four vitamins that are fat soluble, A, D, E, and K. Um, and it's really important with your feed, especially this time of year when it starts getting humid, um, it's really important to make sure your feed is in a nice, dry, um, secure, um, biosecure um, container. And the reason I say that with respect to sour crop is that when we do have moisture um, and humidity and heat, um, that can cause the breakdown of those fat-soluble vitamins. So two things when it comes to feed. You probably don't want to store feed longer than a month or two at the most. If you are going to store feed for even less than that, though, uh, you still want to always store it in Tupperware or a trash can where you can control um, that, that no rodents get in there, uh, where it doesn't get too humid. And if you do see, first of all, if you, if, you, if you are using feed that's older than that, you really run the risk of that feed of those fat-soluble vitamins breaking down. And vitamin A deficiency can lead to all kinds of other problems in addition to sour crop. 
vitamin E deficiency, for example, in, in chicks can lead to um, uh, stargazing. Um, you have all these birds that are they're not able to, their, their, their nervous systems don't develop appropriately. Um, so you can get a lot of mortality in chicks from vitamin E deficiency. My point is, is that um, always pay attention to the quality of your feed. Um, and if the feed even looks normal, um, but we're dealing with, you know, feed that's two, three months of age, you have to be really careful in that scenario because you can get a lot of mortality if you have that vitamin A deficiency from all kinds of other things. Um, and vitamin E deficiency and vitamin D deficiency. Now you're starting to deal with other metabolic issues, uh, bone strains, bone density, um, especially in laying birds, that can be a real problem. But, but, um, but, but my chickens look healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to add that in there because um, we hear that an awful lot when I talk about things with poor diet, like possible osteoporosis, uh, fatty liver disease, these things that too many treats cause because they're not getting the vitamins they need to prevent these things through their um, uh, their you know nutritionally balanced feed. And so we often hear, but my chickens look healthy. You can't diagnose. You know, from looking at this chicken in your backyard, osteoporosis or even probably fatty liver disease uh, at the onset. So but while you were talking about all that, I kept repeating in my brain, but my chickens look healthy, but my chickens look healthy um, are all these things that we're not going to see that would definitely not make for a, a healthy bird. Um, hey, Doc, I'm going to go to our second commercial break here real quick. And then uh, when we come back, we will, of course, continue because all this is absolutely great information. Um, and I'll just mention now in case people uh, at any time have to break away, there, there's still time left in the show, but I have yet to hear you say anything about apple cider vinegar. So uh, we'll, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get your two cents worth on that a little later as well. So, uh, folks, stay with us. We're having a great show today. Sour. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Strombergs should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. 
take back control and say no to nasty odors. Chickens across the country are flocking to grubbits. These natural oven-dried black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15 percent of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today. If you're just joining us, sour crop in chickens is the topic. Our guest, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we're talking uh, about anything, how to prevent, how to cause, biosecurity, treatments we're getting into, things that may have some merit, things that may not. So we hope you're enjoying the show because we have a good bit more to offer you. So uh, thanks for staying with us, doctor. Uh, Let's continue. Great. So uh, just a few things I wanted to go over before we talk about apple cider vinegar, because I think in this scenario, believe it or not, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not advocate for it, but I'm going to at least understand the logic of apple cider vinegar in this scenario. So, um, so, so we'll get to that, I, I promise. So, so <laughs> remember, you're looking for a distended crop or just like an enlarged um, a doughy kind of crop area. And then uh, severe infections have that, that really bad smell associated with them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're uncomfortable, you're not sure, you can always go to your veterinarian. They can culture the fungal organisms. They can just take a little swab from the crop and do a microscopic examination. Um, or post-mortem, like we talked about, um, they, can, they can do a, a necropsy. That's an that's a animal term for autopsy. Um, and, and most importantly, it's not that they would just identify that your chicken had sour crop because it's very rare that chicken really die from that, but hopefully they can figure out what else is going on with your, with your chicken so you can prevent um, that in the, in the rest of your flock. Um, so prevention is, is our, is our number one kind of issue. So we talked about, we talked about biosecurity in the past, but I don't want to ever be a little biosecurity. It's really our, our best friend. And I know we know that it's easier to talk about than to do. Um, but, but wanted to kind of mention that for the hundredth time, but, but also want to, want to mention uh, the, the key in on also proper husbandry. So minimizing stress, vaccinating for, for all the diseases that, that, that are appropriate. The, the big disease that I always recommend in backyard birds that we vaccinate for is Merrick's disease. That to me is a no brainer. Everything after that, we can certainly have a discussion on, but, but Merrick's is, is the number one killer of backyard birds. So, um, you know, if we're not vaccinated against Merrick's disease, we, we've got we've got some 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 bigger problems that we're not dealing with um, that we that we should be talking about. Um, you know, kind of keeping litter the, the 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 litter quality. So, if you do use litter, a lot of backyard owners don't; they just have kind of a dirt pad. Um, but if you do use rice hulls um, or any other type of of litter material, that litter should be what we call friable. And that's just a fancy way of saying I should be able to pick up the litter. It shouldn't blow away. It shouldn't aerosolize um, um, when I pick it up. Um, but I also, sh- it shouldn't be so clumpy um, that it's, it, I can squeeze moisture out of. So friable means I can just kind of break it apart into, into little chunks. Too moist, then I need to add more litter or have 
um, more space for the birds. Um, and if it's uh, too aerosolized, um, then um, I need to um, probably have the birds in it and maybe a tighter enclosure um, or, um, you know, those type of things. So you want that happy medium and, and, and litter quality is so essential because the birds are, are on that all day long um, and all night long, potentially, uh, if they're not perching. So all the bacteria and fungi that are in that litter, your, your birds are exposed to, and there's coccidia there and fungi and E. coli there, and that's okay in low amounts. It's actually great that that challenges their immune system. That's exactly what we want. Um, but if we have too much of those things now, we're, we're dealing with, um, with a problem. So I did want to talk a little about treatment. So um, you can work with your veterinarian. Um, they can drain and wash out the, the crop. That is a thing. Um, they can prescribe antifungal medications, um, and there are uh, drugs like nystatin, ketoconazole, um, which I believe can be used. I think nystatin is the only one that's, that's approved for poultry, which do have um, uh, feed, withdrawal, uh, feed withdrawal times. So you just need to work with your vet um, and Farad, and I promise you your vet's going to have to go onto Farad's website too because none of us can remember that stuff. Um, and it changes co constantly, and it gets complicated because, um, you know, there are different uh, drugs that are approved in different countries. So, so um, I think sometimes people get a little confused by that, too, including, you know, folks like me, because you'll work with vets all around all over the world, and, you know, sometimes they'll forget what's approved in the U.S. and, 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 and vice versa when I'm working um, um, in other areas of the world. Um, one thing I did want to point out before we talk about apple cider vinegar is that, unfortunately, like a lot of diseases, infectious diseases, once a chicken has been infected, the infection can reoccur. Um, and that's probably because of whatever the underlying immunosuppressive condition is. So if we have vitamin A deficiency, for example, even if we, you know, treated with antifungal medications, eventually we're going to get right back where we started again because that um, – uh, Canada albicans is in the environment, and, and we're, we're going to start that cycle again. So it's really important to try to get to the root of the problem. Adding vinegar to drinking water, while, while the literature is incomplete in this area, because there's just not a lot of research that gets done on this, as far as I can tell, um, adding vinegar to drinking water to acidify the, 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 um, the, the crop um, intestinal kind of um, pH it can make the, the, that environment less favorable for fungal growth, um, and that may be helpful in, in preventing reinfection. So I'm not opposed to using vinegar in that scenario because I think the biology makes sense, even though there's not any literature to support that. Now, when people say apple cider vinegar for Merrick's disease and virulent Newcastle disease and every other kind of bacteria or virus or parasite out there, I, I kind of roll my eyes because I'm like, okay, there's no biological mechanism. There's no mode of action there. I, I've heard people say some really inappropriate things when it comes to virulent Newcastle disease and apple cider vinegar, and I think people are just trying to say something. Um, in this scenario, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I would be very cautious with how much apple cider vinegar you add to water for two reasons. Birds will not drink water if it has an off taste in it, into it. So if the, if the water is dirty, for example, birds are not going to drink. If they don't drink, they're not going to eat. If they don't eat, they're not going to produce eggs for you, and they're not going to be healthy. Um, so, you know, just make sure when you're adding apple cider vinegar, that the apple cider vinegar, that you're, you're not kind of overdoing it. Because I know with humans, we have a tendency to, to think more is better. 
but, but like I said, I'm not opposed to the, the biology makes sense. Um, and, and because the crop is kind of the first thing that we run into, um, it, it, it seems like that would, you know, I, 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 I can understand the logic of it. And, and I would, I would be supportive of trying that as a, as a, as a potential treatment, um, to, especially for reinfection. Now, see, that was my theory earlier on when we were listing all that, and, I, and someone had posted, and I think it was two or three different people had posted stewed tomatoes, uh, maybe because of the acidity of the, the tomatoes. They said, I think, with strict food, and then give no food for 24 hours, and then the stewed tomatoes. I'm thinking that 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 their theory might be that because it's high in acid, or, uh, that it may kind of do the same thing. We're thinking apple cider vinegar might. I think they're thinking that with that with the tomatoes. So the only thing I don't like about the stewed tomatoes versus the apple cider vinegar is that so so in general a chicken will eat about a quarter cup of feed a day. Uh, right. So it's about 120 grams of feed. So if I'm giving them, you know, 20 grams, 30 grams of stewed tomatoes, now I'm displacing the amount uh-huh. of calcium. So in that. For, for every 100 grams, they should have about – a laying hen needs about 4.5%, 4.5 grams of calcium. So now if I'm displacing the amount of calcium and phosphorus and vitamin A and all these other things that they're getting with stewed tomatoes, now I worry about causing other problems. So gotcha. that's why I, if I was going to do one thing, I, I'm a less is more type person. So let's, let's try not to change too many things at once so we're not dealing with a new problem. But uh-huh. the acidification makes sense. I mean, we acidify water – for all kinds of things. So to treat salmonella, um, there's a lot of commercial farms that'll, that'll, that'll acidify the water with the idea that the acidified water um, will reduce any kind of salmonella growth in the water. And if I, if I ever experimentally or wanted to, to be an evil genius and wanted to get your, your chicken sick with salmonella, I would put it in the water or the food. That's the easiest way to get chicken sick. So so it makes sense that we should be um, as, as careful as possible with preventing any kind of fungal or bacterial overgrowth in, in water or feed. But, yeah, the tomato issue, I, I see the logic like we just talked about, but I, I right. would be a little cautious on, on, on displacing the regular feed. Now let's talk about how much um, yogurt, you know, if we can talk about how much yogurt is too much yogurt because over the years we've talked about – Chickens really don't have the enzymes in their gut to properly digest dairy. We've talked about, you know, uh, store-bought yogurt probably doesn't have enough of the probiotic to really help a chicken, but there's a lot of sugars and artificial colors and artificial sweeteners and things like that. And then we kind of argue that, you know, there are probiotics designed for poultry um, that are, <laughs> are cheaper than buying a cup of yogurt every day for your birds that has all that stuff they don't need in it. Um, and then now I think most manufacturers, I know Tucker Milling does, puts already in their feed prebiotic and probiotic in there, along with actually a lot of essential oils and things like that in their feed. Um, so is with, with yogurt, because that, that was mentioned quite a bit, yogurt and apple cider vinegar, is that something that um, I'm sure somewhere along the line, because we know dairy is not good for poultry, is, there's got to be a too much. Too much is not enough. But, you know, if you want to try it, fine. But, you know, it's, it's not something that we probably want to give regularly. What, what's your two cents worth on yogurt? Yeah, so you kind of summarized kind of everything I, I, I would say. So, again, <laughs> with the yogurt issue, if, if we're going to – it's kind of like the tomatoes in, just in a different form. Now we're displacing their feed with yogurt instead of, instead of tomatoes, and we're kind of running into potentially that gotcha. same problem. 
the the prebiotics and probiotics that are in the feed are are you know certainly you know that 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 is a, a kind of the, the less is more approach. We're not disrupting their diet too much at that point. Um, yogurt and correct me where I'm wrong because I I forgot most of my nutrition. Um, but yogurt does not have any milk sugar in it anymore because the bacteria have 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 digested that and converted it into all these different fatty acids. If, if I can remember correct, correctly, so. So I'm not sure the lactose issue is, is a problem like it would be for some dairy products, but, but I, I don't know if there's still some milk sugar in there. Obviously, cheeses don't have lactose in them anymore because the bacteria are, are fermenting and producing gotcha. all these propionic acids and things like that. But, um, but yeah, again, I, 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 I would want to displace their feed as little as possible, so that's why I would just use probiotics and prebiotics if you were going to add anything in addition to the probiotics and prebiotics that are already in the, in the feed. You know what I just thought when you were talking about that yogurt and kind of brainstorming and thinking and like, I'm not sure uh, what entered my mind was that sounds like a really good article for the magazine, <laughs> yogurt and chickens. Let's get down to the nitty gritty and then um, figure <laughs> yeah, exactly. out, you know, figure out, figure out some of these things that is, is yogurt, does it have any milk? You know, that all those questions you just kind of asked yourself, like, Hmm, that might be a good future article. And then lastly, my last one is, because I think so many uh, backyarders get confused with the gizzard and the crop because oftentimes when crop issues come up, you'll have a few, like we heard, talk about grit, talk about oyster shell, um, and they throw that out there uh, when my understanding is grit has absolutely – Grit has absolutely nothing to do with the crop. It's all gizzard kind of related and oyster shell, kind of the same thing. That's to kind of maybe increase calcium if you got some softer uh, eggshells. So uh, am I kind of um, okay on that uh, with the grit and oyster shell being that's two totally separate issues with those? Yeah, no, great. Thanks for, for bringing that up again. Yeah, so the crop is, is, is a very kind of um, – it's very soft tissue kind of um, um, kind of outpouching um, that's just south of the esophagus right. to get to uh, what we call what where, where the grid is stored in the um, in the in the ventriculus. So you have to go past the crop um, into the proventriculus, which is the, the stomach basically, um, and then you have to get after the stomach. Then you go to the ventriculus which is um, the, the, what we call also the non-glandular stomach, and, and that ventriculus is, is after the stomach, and that's where you've got this very thickened tissue um, that the grit will kind of be in, and that grit is designed, it's almost like a washing machine. It'll really break down mechanically um, the feed um, as opposed to enzymatically the feed, like the proventriculus does. So the order is mouth, esophagus, uh, crop back to the esophagus again, uh, proventriculus, and then ventriculus, and then from the ventriculus it goes small intestine, large intestine, and then and then out the cloaca. Um, so so yes, there, those are two different areas. The grit doesn't have anything to do with the crop, aside from just kind of passing through there. Right. Um, and and the grit is, is doesn't have anything to do with um, preventing fungal infections. The grit is very one. good at just breaking down the, the feed so it can be absorbed um, in, in, the, in the intestine. A lot of people describe it kind of like teeth. A chicken's teeth is really in the gizzard through the uh, grit, which kind of grinds that grinds that those whole corn kernels or what have you. Another one is, and, and I've heard this for over a decade, Doc, and that is, that is, and this may not so much. This may be another whole other thing. Not so much for sour crop. 
but impacted crop, and that may be a whole nother show when we talk about impacted crop, but people often talk about, and they get, we all get it confused sometimes, you know, don't, probably you don't want to give your chickens the grass cuttings that are left over because when you look down at what your lawnmower just cut, grass clippings can be about two or three inches long. And that may, some people will say that'll increase sour crop, but maybe that would increase like a whole um, pumpkin seeds and, and three inch long pieces of grass that you just mowed your grass. Um, not good for the chickens. That may be more of a impacted crop, um, threat versus sour crop. So, uh, but I'm interested either way, the, the, uh, uh, cause I've heard that for over a decade. Yeah. You probably don't want to give grass clippings to your chickens because it could result in slash, um, impacted crop cause those long blades of grass. And that, that's all the questions I have for you that came up in my mind today for sh the show. Yeah. So, so, um, impacted crops are, are, Difference um, in 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 so if you, you can't you can't have sour crop that leads to an impacted crop because as the in, as the tissue gets inflamed um, that can lead to impactions. Um, huh? You can also have an impacted crop that is unrelated to sour crop, right? If you and, and that's where mm -hmm. you run into those issues of, of of impactions from from different types of feeds, including grasses. Now, in the past. Um, we've had some problems with impactions. We, we've seen the impactions actually a little further south of there when it gets to um, when we're dealing with grasses. Um, um, and, and that's usually in the small intestine. Um, so, so we've seen that in the past, and you're absolutely right. Like, you know, just kind of from our experience, it, it, it's very inconsistent. It's hard to tell which breeds, what ages of chickens have problems on pasture. There's not really a lot of literature on that. Um, it's kind of one of those things you, you see, I don't, I don't know, we haven't, we haven't seen it enough to really understand it, um, but when we've opened up the birds, the impaction, interestingly enough, is more in the small intestine than in the crop. Um, but I know people have obviously talked about impacted crops before, but I don't think, I think most of the impactions that I've seen are from, from crop, from grasses are typically in the, in the small intestine. Okay. No, that that's helped too because I hadn't heard that part of it. I've always heard the long blades of grass. Don't give it to them because of the impacted uh, crop risk, and that's been out there kind of in the, going viral over the last well over ten years. I remember that's one of the first things I remember hearing with with uh, crop issues way back when. So, um, well, this has been great. Any any last thing on your outline there that that we didn't cover? You wanted to get out there right before we leave, but uh, again, fantastic show. Hopefully, this clears up. Uh, for a lot of folks, what it is, how to prevent, uh, maybe some treatment options and things like that. But anything else you wanted to share? No, nope, I, I think the the thing I would just stress again is, is keep is it, when you you know focus on husbandry, focus on biosecurity, and when you do do treatments, keep it simple. Don't don't try to change too many things. Keep it as simple as possible, and that's usually uh, you at least won't add on additional problems onto the problem you're dealing with. And I just thought of another question I had earlier. You, you kind of labeled this as, an, uh, I believe it was infectious disease, uh, sauerkraut. So when I think of this, and again, you may have covered this, me muting and coughing and whatnot. I may have missed it, so I apologize if I did. When I hear infectious disease, I'm thinking, okay, I've got this chicken here that has sauerkraut. 
And if I hear the word infectious disease, I'm thinking, okay, I need to separate her. Do I need to treat my whole flock? Can she give it to another hen because it is infectious disease or because she has it, it's in the environment, and the other hens are going to get it through the environment, not necessarily from chicken to chicken? Correct. Yeah, so this is one of those scenarios where, you know, like if we're dealing with virulent Newcastle disease or salmonella, those are bacteria, those are viruses and bacteria that can be transmitted from bird to bird. Um, when we're dealing with Canada albicans, uh, with the sour crop, that is not, it's not transmissible from bird mm-hmm. to bird uh, in the same way. It's, it, 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 again, usually secondary to something else going on in the environment because gotcha. we have uh, overgrowth in the, in the, in the, in the okay. litter or the feed got contaminated with mold or yeast and things like that. Um, but, but there is a, a difference there, and I could see how the language can get a little confusing. Sure. No, that's, that's what I assume was the case, and so I just figured we'd not um, – no, maybe no need to um, isolate that one bird with the sour crop while we're treating it, I guess. I didn't hear that, I don't think, so I Correct. think we're okay. Correct. Okay, great. Well, thank you yeah. so much for coming on today, and uh, again, we'll look forward to seeing you the second Tuesday in June. And it seems like every time you're on once a month, there's something going on in the world that we have to talk about at the beginning of the show, whether it be a gas shortage or a pandemic or, or Newcastle or something's going on. And so I always love that uh, host chat when you come on because we're on the exact opposites of the country, way over here in Georgia on the East Coast or way over there on the West Coast. And it's uh, always great to have a little host chat with you at the beginning to, to solve the world's problems. So thanks for coming on again, Doc, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next month. Okay, thanks, Andy. Take care. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. So what a great show, Sour Crop and Chickens, and yet there was a little bit of hope for you guys that uh, are passionate about apple cider vinegar that this may be uh, one case because the, the biology he's saying you know, might make a little bit of sense uh, to while you're treating for sour crop to add a little apple cider vinegar to their water. So, uh, hey, mark one on the list of the apple cider vinegar lovers out there. So how cool is that for you guys? So um, thanks for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Again, I want to remind everybody there is absolutely no reason for you not to be a subscriber to Chicken Whisperer magazine because the digital edition is absolutely free. Go to chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Click on uh, uh, subscribe. There's a to subscribe to the digital edition, and it is absolutely free. You'll get it in your email four times a year, articles from, yes, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski, veterinarian. You've got articles from poultry scientist Dr. McRae, poultry scientist Zach Williams, uh, poultry veterinarian Dr. Jessica Fox, poultry nutritionist uh, uh, Dr. Gehring, uh, who's over at Tucker Millen. He's, so, you know, all of these awesome Poultry experts are writing for Chicken Whisperer Magazine now, and you can subscribe for free. If you want to kind of keep an educational catalog, if you want, I know a lot of people do this. They'll send me pictures, and they'll have, they'll have like every issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine we've ever done over the last six years, um, and they'll have it in a catalog. So they can just refer to that almost like a chicken education encyclopedia because all the articles are written by professionals. I see uh, Dr. Pateski is still on, thank goodness, because I meant to say this at the beginning of the show. I was thinking about it all week, and I totally forgot. That's how it goes, right? But 
today was episode 1200. Episode 1200. We've been doing this show now. This is our 12th year, I believe, of doing this podcast and an internet radio show. This is episode 1200. We've done a few more than that. Some got canceled because of sound issues. Some got canceled uh, for other reasons or deleted, if you will. Uh, but this, uh, as far as our number system is concerned, uh, with the episodes that are available to you to listen, 1200. Just to put some perspective into that, there were only about 300 episodes of Seinfeld, only about 300 or so episodes of MASH, uh, only about 300 or so episodes of Friends and Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper. Uh, what is that? Four times that. This is the 12th, 1200. 1,200 episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And, uh, wow, that's a lot of listening. Uh, if you have some sleepless nights and you're having a hard time getting to sleep, boy, you've got 1,200 episodes to choose from <laughs> to try to get you some shut-eye <laughs> uh, here. Uh, they're, all, they're, they're all there on Blog Talk Radio. So, uh, Dr. Potesky, thank you from, for a long, being a part of the show for so long. Um, and uh, it, it was a pleasure to have you here for episode number 1200. How cool uh, is that? So, hey, also, if you want the print edition of the magazine, we can do that, too, for nine ninety five. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com. On Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>